Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? doing well. It is a brisk morning. Uh, as we record this, we dipped down into the low 20s this morning. So as I was running, I uh, got to the halfway point of my run, turned around, and in the eastern sky, the sun was beginning to appear. But my goodness, it's winter. I think we've decided this morning it's winter 4.0. <laughs> so it, it's all good, though. It's all good. For sure. Speaking of cool, We'll talk about our prayer partner initiative. There you go. We can catch up for the week. Nice transition. Yeah. So listeners, uh, we're doing our prayer partners initiative catch up for the week. Um, You pick a partner, you pray daily for them, and then you connect weekly. So Jeff, let's connect for the week. In one word, how are you? Again, I'm going to go with good. I uh, I am am again experiencing God's goodness in the ups and downs of life, and in in walking with others along their lives and their ups and downs. And so um, God is faithful and and God is good. And so I am too. How about you? How are you doing? In one word, how are you doing? Yeah. I'm going to say stretched. I'm going to use a Okay. That's a really good word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stretched, but good. Yeah. Just staying busy. That's awesome. So you've got a new job and and you've got a wonderful family, a growing family. And so you you are being stretched. For sure. That's yeah. not a bad thing. It's no. not a bad thing. God no. shows up sometimes when we're stretched, and he, it's a beautiful thing. He does, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what is God teaching you right now? God is teaching me to continually rely on Him, uh, to continually consult His Word when issues arise, to continually consult the Holy Spirit by way of prayer, um, to continue to just lean on Him, knowing this, that, that He is Lord over my life, and he is Lord over my family. He is Lord over our church. And as we trust and follow him, uh, again, sometimes we feel like we might be out on the end of the limb with God, but that's the best place we can be with him because we're trusting him. And, uh, and so that's what God is teaching me right now. What about you? What is God teaching you right now? Yeah. So I'm learning that parenthood will never be an exact science. <laughs> Amen. That is that is great and true. Yeah. It's parenthood is such a blessing and Taylor and I are just living it up uh raising Isaac and he's such a good boy and uh he just brings us such joy but you know it just you know a nap may not quite go the way you think it's going to go or he might not be able to fall asleep at night and just have a lot of energy. Yeah. And just little things like that where you're like wow, you know, I, I thought we'd kind of, you know, formatted this and you know Put it into the, uh, put it down the line, and we're moving on to the next thing. But now you got to sometimes just take a step back, and you know, just things happen. I'm telling you, one of the lessons that I continue to learn is that parenting is more art than science. Yeah. Um, it is, it is not a predictable journey. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you in that as you all, uh, it's always changing. I mean, everything's changing, you know, and, and as Isaac is growing, uh, we're seeing that in our kids. It's just you get in a season where you you experience some predictability for a moment, and then all of a sudden the predictability shifts and you're in a new moment. You know, my parents used to say, there's no, there's no instruction book for you. Uh, and we have the Word of God, of course, but... Um, 
when it gets down to the nitty gritty little things about everyday living, you're you're exactly right. So, um, yeah, man, that's it's again on the journey with the Lord. Absolutely. So, how can I pray for you? Um, pray for wisdom, please. Uh, we are currently in the search for our next minister of students at First Baptist Church, and we want to get the person that God uh, has prepared for his church and for these students and families that are so near and dear to his heart and certainly near and dear to our hearts as well. So wisdom would be um, a great way uh, for you to pray for me and for our search team as we uh, undertake that search. How can I pray for you? Yeah. Well, I'm going to steal the wisdom and ask yeah. for wisdom again. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm. So we've got several different projects going on. You know, mm-hmm. uh, obviously we're raising Isaac. We have another one on the way, um, and then we're working on a project here at First Baptist for Passover. Um, so you know, there's just different projects going on that we want to do well. We want to do everything for the glory of God and make sure they come off without a hitch, or you know at least be thought out so that they're honorific to God and helpful to everybody else. So yeah. uh, just wisdom in balancing all of those. Absolutely. And while we're talking about that, why don't we plug that event that's coming up on Palm Sunday, April the 2nd. You and Taylor will be leading us through an event that afternoon at 4.30. Um, tell us what it's called and tell us what you're going to be doing. Yeah, so it's from Palm Sunday to Passover, Jewish Insights for Holy Week. So it's really made to be a primer for you going into Holy Week. So it'll be Palm Sunday. So we're going to talk about the triumphal entry and then several events during Holy Week uh, in the Gospels so that you have a little bit more insights, a little more context, a little more background for when you're reading these passages. And they're not just kind of the things that you read every year or that you kind of hear and you're like, oh, okay, right, got it. Um, you know, um, look, I, I have too many things to talk about at the moment, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but hopefully looking at uh, some of the messianic expectations of uh, what people were thinking when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on donkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just, you know, a man riding into town on a donkey. Like, there's a lot more background and Jewish thought on what the donkey means and what is expected, you know, around Passover, what is expected w- with Jesus even in in some of the context of the stories prior to that. So we're just going to be talking about that. It's going to be a nice flow from your sermon that morning about Palm Sunday going right into that. So I'm excited. You know, and I'm really looking forward to it as well, because the more we understand the context in which Holy Week happened, uh, particularly understanding the Jewish festivals, that Jesus was there in Jerusalem to take part in the celebration uh, of long-standing Jewish festivals. Um, and even the song they were singing, mm-hmm. even where we get Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, there's just so much rich context there that as we understand that, um, we understand Holy Week, the cross, and the resurrection so much more deeply. We understand our own faith so much more deeply. Uh, but there's also going to be some food involved. Absolutely. So tell us about the food. Yeah, so it's hors d'oeuvres, so it's not a full meal, but we are going to have some matzah-based dishes and some, you know, little food, finger foods. Um, so you're going to get a little bit of food, and uh, hopefully you'll get a little bit of a taste of that that time on the Hebrew calendar from this event. It's really going to be great. I hope all of our listeners can come and uh, can bring somebody with them. We'll have a, a sign-up electronically through our website that we will put out soon, but we wanted to let you all know that that's coming soon, and we want you to be a part of it. Absolutely. 
Well, and that'll take us nicely into today's scripture. So we're looking at Luke 13, 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down, why should it use up the ground? And he said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Okay, so let's let's start talking about this parable. You you mentioned on Sunday that th- this is a warning, it's a parable from Jesus about Israel. Can you explain the symbolism and the message of the parable? Yeah, so Jesus tells this parable, speaking specifically to the Jewish people who have not acted as those who are the people of Almighty God. Uh, The fig tree represents Israel, who is called to bear fruit in keeping with their identity in Yahweh. Israel must repent and bear fruit before the hour of judgment arrives. Tom Schreiner, who's a professor at Southern Seminary in Louisville, writes, The point of the parable is clear. God has been seeking fruit from Israel for hundreds of years. The three years in the parable are symbolic. But the nation has been unfaithful. Their faithlessness raises the question of whether they should be judged definitively and finally. And so, again, this is a theme that we hear in the Gospel of John. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Uh, Even in the beginning of of John the Baptist's ministry, where in Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, um, the Bible records that he, John the Baptist, said, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance." And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the Bible is is clear. Jesus has come. He is the, the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense, over which the people of God ought to have celebrated his coming, ought to have embraced him as the Messiah, and yet they did not. Uh, we'll see through the celebration of Holy Week that those who celebrated him, even on Palm Sunday, um, many of them turned and cried for him to be crucified um, on what we call Good Friday. And um, there is, as the Bible describes, particularly in Romans chapters 9 through 11, uh, a partial hardening of the people of Israel, that, that they have continued in disobedience and certainly in the ultimate disobedience of rejecting God's Messiah, um, but they will be grafted back in. So, so there's been a hardening. They didn't want Jesus. The way to God was made open to the Gentiles, and praise God for that, because that's me, that's mm-hmm. you. Um, but then 
the Bible is clear that God has not given up on his people, and they will be grafted back in. Now, listen, they will be grafted in by faith in Jesus Christ. They're, they're not grafted in simply you know, apart from Christ. Nobody's going to heaven without bowing their knee to Jesus in faith and confessing Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Almighty. So there will be some sense in which there will be an ingathering of the Jewish people who come to faith in Messiah, in Jesus of Nazareth, and in so doing, return to God. And so, again, Romans Romans chapters 10 and 11 really kind of speak to that very well. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, even saying that the Gentiles have been brought in. We Gentiles have been brought into the family of God to make God's people jealous, to, to, to compel them to look yet again and say, wait a minute, what, what is this? Um, and so we... we we certainly don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to pick up on the other theme of Scripture that that we have been grafted in to this tree by faith, um, and it is it is by God's grace alone, and by God's grace um, there will be an ingathering of the Jewish people who come to Him by faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and so there is certainly a future for Israel. But what you see. Is, is Jesus, in telling this parable, is picking up a theme that, that they have not borne fruits in keeping with repentance, and that extends all the way back through the Old Testament. I mean, this is not a new theme. This is not. I mean, go to the period of the judges. Yeah. Go to the period of the Exodus. Um, as soon as they get out of slavery in Egypt, what do they start doing? They start grumbling and start complaining. They send spies into the promised land. What do they do? Oh, we'll never be able to do it. You know, they're, they're, they're too big. It's too, I mean, this is their story all throughout the Old Testament. And we say that sympathetically because how many times have we had the same sorts of attitudes? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, God, you've been great, but I don't know. You know, I don't know if I can trust you now, even though I have been able to trust you throughout the rest of my life. So, so we look sympathetically, um, not thinking ourselves better than anybody, uh, but recognizing that we are, we are to learn from the mistakes they made. We're to learn from the lessons in history that we have from them uh, as they wandered in the wilderness, as they entered the promised land, as they, they lived in peace and prosperity, and then that turned bad, uh, as they chose to do whatever was right in their own eyes, and that never works out, uh, as they had kings that led them astray and a few kings that led them back toward God, um, as they had prophets who spoke very harsh things toward God's own people because they continued to turn against him as they were uh, in the Babylonian captivity, as you know, as they returned to the promised land. I mean, just all of these things are there um, as instruction for us that we would not go the same way. So, um, yeah, there's a lot there. But Jesus tells this parable to say, look, you know, for years and years, hundreds of years, God has been calling you to bear fruit in keeping with being his people. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John the Baptist, the last prophet, comes and says, bear fruit in keeping in repentance. And some of them do. Most of them don't. And so that's that's kind of where we are. Yeah, there's... <laughs> Man, there's so much in there. <laughs> I mean, there really is. Like, yeah. I I listened to Romans nine through eleven on the way here, and I'm like, there you go. Yeah, we could have we could have a four hour podcast on this. So you know, absolutely. 
Yeah. It's hard to pick a single thing from what you just said to riff on, but I think one big thing to remember is that parables like this coming from Jesus are in line with what we've seen throughout Scripture, mm-hmm. going all the way back. I mean, I'm I'm looking at Deuteronomy 30, and you know they're about to enter the Promised Land. Moses is about to take the people into the Promised Land, and then to Deuteronomy, and he's he's pulled them aside and he said, "Look, look, look! A lot of bad things are going to happen to you because you don't follow God's law. Yeah, it's going to happen. You're not going to follow God's law. Bad things are going to happen. Yeah, it's very very similar language to what Jesus is saying. But then he follows that up in Deuteronomy 30 with. And when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. So Moses says that right off the bat, all the way back in Deuteronomy. Um, And I, I could pick out, uh, and I've got them here in front of me, but I, I could pick out verses from Isaiah and Jeremiah where they do the same thing. They yep. say, there's going to be destruction. You know, this this is coming. There isn't repentance. There's going to be destruction. But then they followed up with, and then God will regather your people. Right. There's going to be a remnant that's saved. You're going to be, you know, brought through the fire, but then you'll be refined and you'll be brought back in. When you read parables like this from Jesus, it's all in line with the prophetic tradition, all building toward the same culmination, which mm. is the in, final in gathering, the final redemption, um, Jesus leading his people into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And and <clears throat> it will be glorious because it will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It will be Jew and Gentile alike. And and remember, the, the Bible really knows two races. You're either Jewish or you're Gentile. Yeah. Uh, and so we are, uh, if we're not ethnically Jewish, then we're Gentiles. And uh, we have been gathered in, grafted in by the grace of God, and we're so thankful for that. Um, but we also desire that all people would come uh, to faith in Jesus Christ. So I just I, I want to be clear that, again, nobody's going to heaven apart from faith in Christ. Nobody's going to go to heaven. Nobody's going to enter the new heavens and the new earth and, and dwell in the kingdom of God saying, yeah, I'm still not sure about that Jesus guy. That's not going to be the reality. Um, but you're right. You I mean, you look at Deuteronomy 28, and and that precedes obviously Deuteronomy 30, where here's blessings for obedience, here's curses for disobedience, and then in 30 Moses says, yeah, yeah, I mean you're going to disobey, and so there will be consequences, logical outcomes, telling you it's going to happen now before it happens, and um, and it's this continual tradition, you know, if I were God. And dealing with his people, and I am lumping myself in, mm-hmm. uh, I would have lost my patience so long ago. <laughs> yeah. know, how many times do I have to tell you the same thing? Um, and again, I say that very humbly because he's had to tell me the same thing repeatedly. Um, but God is is so kind and long-suffering and uh Nevertheless, we are not to presume upon his long-suffering nature because the day will come when his patience draws to a close and judgment arrives, and uh, that judgment will be full and final. So uh, we, we spread the gospel so that all people might come to Christ in repentance and faith. Amen. Well, speaking of long-suffering, that takes us into today's listener question. <laughs> Listeners, if you have a question, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, what is the main point of the book of Job? 
Job's friends make some pretty good points, so I don't get why they're wrong and Job is right. You know, um, I had somebody ask me after church just a few days ago, actually when we were reading through Job, um, asked me, you know, is there no wisdom to be found in the words of Job's friends? And the things that they say um, are often very correct. However, it is the trajectory with which they are saying them. So let me let me back up and, and let's think about the book of Job. So here's Job, character, uh, upright before God, and uh, we get to glimpse into heaven, into the courts of Almighty God. And, and here comes Satan, the adversary and accuser of the brethren. And uh, God says, what have you been doing, roaming to and fro about the earth? And and all those sorts of things. And and God then says, have you considered my servant Job? He is upright. And Satan says, yeah, because you've given him everything. I mean, he's rich, he's healthy, he's wealthy, he's wise. Take some of that away from him and watch him curse you. So God allows, and that's an important part of this, Mm -hmm. God allows Satan. And it's a teaching to us that, that Satan is not unfettered. Uh, God has to allow things to happen, and that can lead us into a discussion of of the divine asymmetry with regard to good and evil. That's a different podcast, um, but but the bottom line is that God had to allow Satan to bring this destruction upon Job, and he did. Lost his family, lost his lands, lost his livestock, lost all the, the good things that he had. Uh, he himself was not touched. His wife was not touched. That he might have regretted that at some point in the in the narrative. We'll talk about that. But um, and he didn't curse God. So you know, again, we look into the courts of heaven. Have you considered my servant Job? Well, yeah, but flesh for flesh. So yeah, anybody can lose everything and still not curse you. Let me touch him. You know, okay, you can touch him. Don't kill him. Um, and so he was. He was afflicted with painful boils, and and he cutting himself open and and he, he falls down, you know, naked I came into this world, naked I will go out from this world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. And he still doesn't curse God. At which point his wife says, do you still maintain your faithfulness? Curse God and die. She's a sweet lady. Um, <laughs> and Job still doesn't curse God. Now, he has questions for God. And that's when Job's friends show up. And for, for I think it's a week, they, they just sit there. And they, they do a really good job at this point. I want to tell you, that's instructive. When you're with somebody who's hurting to that degree, mm-hmm. it, we call it the ministry of presence. There's, there's great ministry in just showing up. You don't have to say a thing. You just are there, and you're, you're grieving with them. Your presence is there. That's such a wonderful thing. Then Eliphaz opens his mouth, and... The very first things that he says are, look, bad things don't happen to good people. Well, now we just we just veered off course, mm-hmm. right? Because first of all, none of us is truly good. Only God is good. But the rest of us are sinners in need of mercy, in need of a Savior. Um, but what Eliphaz and the other friends of Job are doing are they are they're doing some kind of reverse engineering. Instead of saying, as Deuteronomy 28 would say, there are blessings for obedience, there are curses for disobedience. What they're doing is they're going from the back end, trying to deduce what happened in the front end that brought about this this struggle. Now, we've seen into heaven. We know Job didn't do anything wrong. God allowed this to come upon him. 
Okay, uh, God's not going to waste it. God's going to use it. God will ultimately restore Job. He will have more than he ever lost. Um, but Job didn't do anything wrong. But these friends show up, and they're like, look, you're going through a hard time. What did you do? Job said, I didn't do anything. And they don't believe him because sin leads to consequences. You're experiencing consequences. You must have had sin. And so God very clearly, first of all, he answers Job. And if you ever have your Job complex where you know, you're know you crying out to God, uh, first of all, you're probably not suffering as bad as he was. I have to remind myself of that. Um, but then just go start in Job 28 or Job 38 rather and read Job 38, 39, 40, 41 and listen to God question Job. And uh, Job Job finally says, yeah, uh, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> I spoke words without wisdom. Um, you're God. I'm not. I'm sorry. You know, forgive me. And um, and then God restores Job and God rebukes his friends. And I think what we have to be careful of is, and, and man, in church circles, I see this happen more than really anywhere else. And it's so sad. We try to become um, these great theologians who can deduce what happened. So somebody's suffering. What did you do? Or we even sometimes do it to ourselves, you know, um, for example, uh, I, I get to, to spend some time with a lot of couples who are dealing with infertility. And invariably, they return to, how have I sinned against God to keep us from being able to have a baby? And I, I'm like, you, you can't go there. That's that. Yes, there were times in the Bible where great sin led to issues with fertility, issues with children, things of that nature. Um, but don't don't reverse engineer that. Don't say, oh, we we're having trouble um, having kids. So what are, what sort of sin is in our lives? I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I do think there's always for all of us something healthy about introspectively saying, God, as Psalm one thirty nine would say, show me the offensive way in me. If there's sin in me, point it out, bring it out, and you know, let me shine the light on it and repent of it. Um, but we must, and, and the book of Job teaches us this, we must fight against the urge to try to climb into the mind of God and figure out, oh, that person's going through something hard. What did they do wrong? Because the truth is they may not have done anything wrong. This may just be how life is unfolding for them. God's not going to waste it. God's going to be present in it. God will work all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Um, and so I think we have to be careful with that. I think we have to respond to people with grace, um, with love, with mercy. And uh, God knows why things happen. God knows um, what is the reason for things. And there are some cases, I'm sure, where absolutely um, people are dealing with the logical outworking of their sin. Um, but there are certainly some times when that's not the case. And so I think we have to be very careful um, as we seek to engage with those who are suffering. Um, I, I'll never forget, I, I, <laughs> I had a, a graveside funeral with a young lady who um, had experienced a miscarriage. And um, I, was, I was doing the funeral, and this was her third. Mm. And the funeral director pulled me over um, aside, and, and this is nobody who's working in our town now. This has been 
literally almost 20 years ago. Um, and this person's moved far away and all that sort of thing. But um, he pulled me over. And he said, how many times is she going to have to go through this before she realizes what she's doing? <laughs> I just looked at him and said, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, come on. Get off your high horse. You, you are in no place because I know some things about you too, buddy. Um, you are in no place to sit in judgment over her. Um, and you're certainly in no place to sort of make those sort of remarks while she's going through the, the anguish of having lost a child. Um, and so, you know, I just I think we all have to be very, very careful that that we don't try to sit in the place of God trying to figure out, you know, and that's where Job's friends were. They're, they're, they're trying to sit in the place of God and figure out what he's done and then admonish him for that. Well, you know, if you come to me, uh, you listener, uh, and you have some besetting sin in your life, part of my job is to call you out on that. Say, yeah, that's sin. You need to repent of that. Um, but to do so in a spirit of grace and mercy and kindness, because we all have sin of which we need to repent. Um, so... I think Job teaches us a whole lot uh, in a lot of ways. But, but ultimately, I think that in this context, we have to be careful in um, looking at someone who's suffering and then feeling like we have the authority to deduce what they did to bring about that suffering. I think we have to be very, very careful there. We do. I, I heard a really encouraging message from Bill Schofield about this kind of topic and particularly about Job. Mm -hmm. So he talks a lot about apocalyptic works around the time of the New Testament and yeah. including the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So apocalyptic just means it looks into the future and brings hope. So Revelation is a very apocalyptic work in that it's giving encouragement to the people reading it because they're reading about the good things that are to come. Mm -hmm. So he... Sh so Bill Schofield shared about the Septuagint version of Job. So we have the 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 Hebrew version, which is what's in our Bible because that's the you know that's the original. Right. But then the people getting closer to the time of Jesus said, "Well, a lot of people are reading Greek now and can't read Hebrew. Let's translate it into Greek." But they also added some things in the Greek that helped people at the time understand things that they thought were inherent within the Hebrew. Hmm. So it's kind of like the the message. It's like several things are baked in that aren't original to the text. That's that's a that's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of Job it just ends with Job died an old man full of days. But at the end of the Septuagint that is the Greek version, it says and Job died an old man full of days and it is written that he will rise up again with those whom the Lord raises up. So Job dies at the end of the book and you know, his wealth is restored, he has new children, and okay, that's great, but he just suffered so much. Yeah. So the Septuagint version suggests, well, really, the balancing of the scales isn't in this lifetime. As with so many passages in the New Testament, we know that the balancing of the scales isn't in this lifetime. The wicked might die on top of the world, and the righteous might die on the streets. But that doesn't mean that everything's over. The balancing of the scales includes this life, but also the life to come. The resurrection is where things are going to be parsed out, and the righteous will receive the reward from God for their faith in Messiah, for the righteous deeds they do in his name. Um, it's not just this lifetime. You have to look holistically, including the reward that is to come, and that will give you the faith for this life. That is such a great truth for us to remember, particularly when we see 
the wicked prosper. Mm-hmm. Um, that look, this this world is not all there is, and uh, there will come a time when everyone will give an account for what they've done. And you say, well, that person has unlimited resources, and and they get to live in a life of luxury and all those sorts of things. Yeah, for a minute, mm-hmm. um, but compared to the scope of eternity, I mean, again, think of think of what we're in right now is a waiting room. Okay. Yeah. You may have the cushiest seat in the waiting room, but eventually you're going to get called back and that's where it matters. So, um, that's a great reflection, man. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Can you pray us out for today? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we confess that you are good. Even when things happen in our lives that we can't quite understand, we confess that you are God And so we surrender ourselves to your lordship in our lives. We are looking for that kingdom which knows no end. We join with the saints who are mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. They were were living for a world that was greater than what they were able to see with their eyes. And, And Lord, so are we. And we're so thankful for the assurance that we have that world through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us. Help us to be the sort of people who live lives characterized by surrender to you, submission to you. And Lord, help us to then take your kingdom to the ends of the earth. Uh, Lord, as we share the gospel, as we share the love of Christ and your open arms, ready to receive anyone who will repent and come to you by faith. And so Lord, as we go from this place, we pray that you would help us to be a blessing to everyone that you bring into our path. We ask it trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editor is Chad Walden.